Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 43, our look at the future of combination therapies, plus, from the more recent vault, a section of a May 2022 episode on Nash drug development that presages the topics we discuss in this week's episode. This section shifts from the clinical to the commercial. Ewan Schottenberg starts by asking how the investigators persuaded the two companies, Gilead and Nova Nordisk, to collaborate given that no agent from either company had yet been approved for Nash. Mazanuri Dean says we should give all credit to the two companies. He goes on to describe why it makes more sense for larger companies with more diverse drug portfolios in market to sponsor this kind of combination effort compared to smaller companies stretching their budgets to get a first drug to market. In the end, he urges the larger companies to collaborate more widely with smaller companies, even if they do not have downstream commercial relationships in place. As we head into a world where combinations of NITs will be used to evaluate combination therapies in, as he puts it, a combo combo. Now, email Corey comments on the combination phenomenon and, as an example, raises the LEGEND trial. LEGEND combines PPAR antagonist lanafibrinor from a small company, Inventiva, with the SGLT2 agent empagliflozin from larger company Baron Ringelheim as an example of a forward-thinking collaboration. This leads Mazin to question whether an SGLT2 is the best combination partner for a PPAR agonist. This is a question in its own right and sets the stage for the topic that will kick off the next conversation. This conversation considers in broad terms the practical, clinical, and commercial issues that will frame the future of frontline drug development for the entire range of NASH patients, focusing both on drugs and, in a sense, diagnostics. It leaves a great deal for all of us to ponder. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn or Facebook discussion groups. Jörn Schattenberg. One of the challenges, and maybe you can give us a little bit of insight, could, of course, to get two companies talking to each other and being ready to join forces here in this field and, you know, going on this development road together. From an external perspective, that must have been a challenge, or maybe we can learn, and because it's great from the science, but, of course, that's also a challenge from the development aspect of drugs, right? Mazen Nuradin. Yeah, I think we have to give Gilead and Novo here the, uh, the credit. They had a partnership on that, and I really wish we can see more of that. A lot of drugs now are, and I, I totally get it that they, especially companies that not the size of Pfizer or Novo, they want to get to their approval line and market the drug. So maybe I can call on the larger companies to start partnering with those and tell them it's okay. Let's start combination now. Your drug, phase three drug or phase two B and then three will be done way before our combination study is done and it will not affect your approval. So, I mean, I understand there's financial part into that as well from smaller companies perspective, but maybe older companies or the bigger companies can help the smaller one, even if they don't want to acquire them. That's even actually more preferred in a way or another that if, okay, it's not time to acquire any other company, let's at least work with them on combination now. Now, since we're talking about combination. So we all know on this podcast and many of our listeners that this is a field of combo combo, the combo of NITs, staging the disease and monitoring it and eventually combination of drug like metformin and SGL2 in, in diabetes and metformin and GLP-1 in diabetes. Name Alkuri. You know, Roger, probably you can speak to this, but no one has figured out what to do with NASH yet. So I think the companies need each other. And hepatitis C, we have precedent when it was very 
difficult to treat and we have drugs from different companies that were combined for a while until each company figured out their own combination and that collaboration stopped. So looking into this with the same lens, you know, no one has the answer. Every drug has a liability, I would say, and that's why we see the potential for combination. So in my mind, how do I think about it? Uh, I mean, if your drug has efficacy on NASH, but we don't see clear signal on fibrosis, then you want to partner with another drug that has some signal on fibrosis. If your drug is causing issues related to the metabolic syndrome, let's say you gain weight on the drug like lanafibrinor, which is a great drug in terms of the hepatic efficacy endpoints, NASH resolution, fibrosis regression, but they do gain weight. So what can we do? And this is what Inventiva announced now in a new trial called Legend, where they're going to combine their lanafibrinor with an SGLT2 inhibitor called impagliflozin. And the idea is that with EMPA, you're going to lose a little bit of weight. So hopefully that will mitigate the weight gain with lanafibrinor. It will have also a defatting effect on the liver, potentially decreased liver enzymes. We don't have a lot of histology data with SGLT2 inhibitors, but I think at least mitigating the weight gain and helping with defatting the liver will be desirable. You can also see a scenario where a drug that makes you gain weight is combined with the GLP-1 agonist, and it could be the pill form, so oral doesn't have to be the uh, injectable. Although the weight loss is a little bit less, you can at least mitigate the adverse event of weight gain with another drug. Same thing with dyslipidemia. Again, if you have a drug that increases your LDL, uh, you want to combine it with another drug that has maybe some liver efficacy, but also can uh, lower your um, LDL to mitigate that adverse event. We saw this with NGM, for example, with their FGF19, where there was an increase in LDL, and almost every patient was started on a statin, and that was mainly to mitigate an adverse event. Again, you know, it's the same theme over and over. You're looking at increasing your efficacy and mitigating the adverse events. Let me jump on this for a second. I'm just going to be a straight shooter here on a combination that you just mentioned. With a drug with such a good efficacy like lenifibrinol and you gain weight, I was hoping to see it combined with a GLP-1 where you lose weight, not with a drug. Great drug, but not as effective with weight loss as a GLP-1 or dual GLP glucagons. So that's when we really as researchers in the field, and we can talk about this, I, I thought Roger also wanted to talk about it, the right combination. So if you ask me what's the right first combination in F2 patients, for instance, with Lani, it will be a GLP-1. We also have to, in terms of the combination, we have to also mention that a lot of drugs now are metabolic drugs, FXRs, PPARs, you name it. And there's still room for anti-inflammatory, anti-fibrotic drugs. They don't deliver as much when it comes to proof of concepts and 2A studies, especially with PDFF, but that's not what they're meant to be. So we should not bypass them or forget about them. They they will work perfectly in combination, the anti-inflammatory and anti-fibrotic. So this is another untapped area that will benefit greatly from the concept of combination. So Martin, I'm glad you went back to Legend because that was what I wanted to do. What, what I found so fascinating about that particular combination is as we hear more talk about focusing on cardiovascular mortality and even on kidney disease, when you talk about SGLT2s, you talk about diabetes drugs that pretty quickly demonstrated value against kidney and cardiovascular uh, nephropathy and against cardiovascular mortality. So the question I had about Legend was, okay, exactly what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to develop the best NASH drug we can, where I think your point obtains, or are we trying to develop a multi-system metabolic drug that affects NASH patients and others as well, in which case Legend, at least 
it feels to me like it, it makes a lot more sense. The question that raises is the law of unintended consequences, which is every time you put things together, you get something good and something less good. So, A, I want to go back to that your comment on legend. But B, I want to ask, at what point do we start to worry or at least consider uh, the, the, the things we don't know we don't know and the potential for unintended consequences in combinations? Do, do your comment on legend first, and then whoever wants to jump in on the other one. So it's definitely a multi-system disease that you need to, first of all, probably reduce cardiovascular mortality and liver mortality together and make sure you don't get other organs damaged that, you know, we know the kidneys and other things would gnash. And that's why I exactly commented on lenifibrin or again, I'm, uh, this is me being a straight shooter. I would have loved to see it more with a GLP-1 because it will counteract the weight gain you get it with lenifibrin. It's not that much, but still it will help with it. This is, th- that will be my first choice if I had to choose. And it will have multi-systemic effect. As you know, GLP-1s, they have cardiovascular protective effect, they have weight loss, and thus they will pull the other metabolic features to the right direction. Again, I'm not trying to bash this, the SGL2s or it's underestimate them, but in a drug that is making you gain weight, add another systemic drug that is going to make you probably lose more weight. But Mazen, you know, with the SGLT2 inhibitors, you lose about 3 to 4% of their total body weight, and this is what we saw with lanafibrinor in terms of weight gain. So I agree with you that it'll be nice to even see some weight weight loss, but I think the idea here is to just mitigate that weight gain and just become neutral. Because what we know with the weight gain with lanafibrinor that it's actually good weight gain. Basically, you are redistributing the fat from visceral adipose tissue to subcutaneous adipose tissue. So it's not a bad way to, to gain weight, but obviously our patients do not want to see their weight go up. We, we've known this with pyoglitazone. Actually, if you gain weight, it means the drug is working for you. So I think the idea here was just to mitigate this. Otherwise, SGL two inhibitors will hit on every other point, right? Because we'll see some defatting of the liver, reduction in liver enzymes, improvement in cardiovascular outcomes and kidney outcomes. There is a very good rationale for this one. And I think there is also a good rationale to do a GLP-1 agonist. So both of them make a lot of sense. That makes sense. Now, now do me a favor. Let's move on to the other thing that I'm curious about, right? If three is good or four better, or five better, and at what point do we start to think about the unintended consequences of combinations where we get things out of them we don't want and didn't expect, whether good or bad, and how does that affect thinking now, or how is it likely to affect thinking in the future as we've got more modes of action that make sense, that are better proven? Let me take a jab at this. So what we know now that probably one will not be enough, or I shouldn't say probably, most likely one will not be enough. And there are multiple, multiple scenarios. So to me, the least amount of the drugs, the better it is. If they are all oral, which is gonna be probably unlikely, that's even preferred. But also I think there are pockets of patients that there will be an art in treating NASH patients. For example, the cirrhotics, even the F3s will be different from F2s and F2s will be different from F3s at one point and F3s will be different from F4 when we use the combination. So if you ask me what I would like to see in the future, I would say the perfect two 
in a personalized medicine approach with the least side effects. Jörn Schattenberg. You know, to extend that, we might not find the perfect person for that in the phase three trial because those might not be big enough. We got to get the drug approved. We got to then look at phase four and actually maybe start seeing some real world evidence on certain subcategories that, well, clearly it's not as controlled anymore as in clinical trials, but I think it's important taking this forward and then defining it. So you might, even if we get the drug approved, might not have the answer, what's the best patient for that uh, drug yet? And I think it'll be important to stay on top of it and be open-minded in terms of how we move these uh, field forward. And of course, the big challenge is going to be to get the first drug approved. But after that, I think we'll, we'll have many more answers in terms of what's the best fit for which patient. Totally agree. And this will be a practical way to look at the perfect combination. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. The next three weeks will be devoted to previewing and then covering the Paris Nash meeting and the Easel Navaldi Summit. September is a brutal month for travel schedules and, as a result, podcast scheduling. We'll be using some hybrid episode designs, and both Jorn and Louise will miss some episodes. I'll be here for all of them. It will be a challenge and a bit of a wild ride for me, but if you know me by now, you know I love a challenge. So stick with us as we move through the month. If you're in the U.S., enjoy Labor Day. Wherever you are, enjoy the transition to what we hope will be more temperate weather. Stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.